0: and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams.
1: Those who were willing to look at themselves in the mirror and sort of question all of the assumptions they have about who they are, how they show up, what type of leader they need to be for their team, um, and who are willing to have sometimes a rude awakening and and see blind spots they had not discovered, were always, always, always more successful than those who didn't.
0: That's Tasha Urich talking about what it takes to be a future-ready leader. We'll hear more from Tasha on future-ready leadership action steps to becoming more self-aware in the workplace, and a case study on how one leader has made great strides in leading his team. But first, a word from our sponsors. An MGMA membership has its luxuries, and we believe getting there is much more luxurious in an Audi. That's why MGMA has partnered with Audi to bring a little more luxury into your life. MGMA members are eligible to save $500 to $2,000 on select 2019 and 2020 models through MGMA's Audi Incentive Program. Visit MGMA.com membership to become a member and save on your next Audi. So get out and enjoy the road more comfortably. A proven payment solution for patients' out-of-pocket cost The CareCredit Health, Wellness and Personal Care Credit Card gives cardholders a convenient way to pay for treatments and procedures. For healthcare providers navigating financial and operational challenges resulting from the coronavirus pandemic, CareCredit can help reduce time and effort devoted to billing and collections while increasing patient satisfaction. Learn more about how CareCredit helps providers deliver a better patient financial experience at carecredit.com slash MGMA podcast. The COVID-19 crisis has illuminated aspects of leadership that need addressing. This week, we welcome a guest, Tasha Urich, who is a leadership expert and has a PhD in industrial organizational psychology. She'll be a keynote speaker at MGMA's upcoming virtual event, the Medical Practice Excellence Conference, which will be held in October. Tasha, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Now, we were talking offline, and and I was researching you a little bit before this conversation. You're a a leadership expert. You also have a PhD in industrial organizational psychology. I've been talking to a lot of people about what their lives have been like, what their work lives have been like uh, during this global pandemic. From your perspective, what, what has your world been like? What's it been like for you personally and uh, from a business perspective?
1: I think, like all of us, it's been quite a ride i uh I split my time in my professional world between a couple of things you know i I write books, which is a very good pandemic activity. Um, I consult with you know mostly CEOs and executive teams, usually in person, and then uh, up until March, I traveled about two hundred and fifty thousand miles a year uh, as a speaker and so it, you know I, I sort of couldn't design a global crisis that changed that formula more uh, than it has so it's been just like all of us you know figuring out how to be a virtual consultant and a coach and uh, even more challenging has been figuring out how to how to be a virtual speaker and you know kind of bring myself up on all the technology that right. wonderful av people used to help me with and in ballrooms you know with professionals but there have been some things about it that have been very interesting actually, like new approaches that I would have never used and just out of necessity, I think, being creative. Um, it, I, I'm, I'm not a sort of Pollyanna person about it, though. I think, you know, I, I think it's important to acknowledge that this is hard and, you know, getting through it is part of the victory. So I'm, I'm sort of balancing between those two planes.
0: Sure. Um, from a thematic standpoint, when you're working with clients right now, um, are there some common themes related to Stress, or, or leadership challenges, or anything along those lines that you are hearing again and again from people when you're talking to them.
1: I am. You know, it's it's interesting because there's always differences depending on the industry they're in. There's some, you know, some of my clients have been hit very hard. Some other clients have been doing very well, just with the luck of the draw. So I, I think that's an important consideration. But probably the biggest theme I'm hearing right now is this idea that. I think a lot of people thought that this would be over by now, that we would be able to go back to work, to get back into some of our, you know, more sort of comfortable ways of getting work done. But there seems to have been a collective realization, um, you know, just in, in the work world that we're going to be in this holding pattern for, you know, probably at least a year in some form or fashion. And what I, what I think my smartest clients have done is they've said, okay, we can't keep putting things off. In other words, uh, if I have a difficult conversation I need to have with uh, an employee, I can't say, you know, I'll just put that off until we get back in the office, because, you know, that's just not feasible anymore. And I think figuring out a way to have the the culture you're trying to build virtually, nothing is going to be identical, but I've seen a lot of creativity. And I, I actually think my clients who have been mindful and strategic about building their culture and building their ways of working, have um, created even stronger personal connections. And I think that's going to be, when we look back on on this year, or however long this lasts, it's going to be one of the things that we see positively. You know, it's uh, people know their coworkers in a whole new way, even though they haven't seen them in person for, for so many months. So it's a bit of a paradox, but I think the smartest clients are, are embracing that and not just enduring it.
0: hmm one one comment that I've heard several times is that a crisis situation like the one we're going through right now really reveals uh, <laughs> who a person really is. I mean, you, how you respond to it. Um, are you seeing that as well? Is that something that you've pondered and thought on?
1: For sure. Um, what's been really interesting about this for me as a coach is you know, it's lonely at the top. And I work with all all levels of leadership, but again, typically kind of the top of the organization. And um, to see these human beings who, you know, everybody's looking to them, all eyes are on you when you're the CEO or the CFO or the COO, and you don't have the answers because there's just no corollary to this experience. So um, I've just seen so much courage and bravery, at, you know, it's not uncommon. And I've heard this with my colleagues too. You're on the phone with a client and they're crying because they, you know, they have, they, maybe they've lost someone in their organization to COVID or you know, they, somebody was exposed and they're worried about their team as people um, which, which I think most good leaders did before, but there's just this whole new level of uncertainty and pain. And when you're the CEO, everybody's looking at you. And um, so I think it requires, a lot of humanity and compassion, um, but also a leap of faith, right? To say, I I, I know one CEO whose motto is we're going to do the right thing and we're going to do the best we can do. And, and sort of staying steady to that staying as calm as possible. um, That's, that's what I think the formula is right now. Nobody has all the answers, but that's, what's going to get us through this.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, A pandemic like this, it hits people of all, you know, across the board, across industries, across, uh, you know, socioeconomic uh, situations as well. Some have been hit harder for sure. Um, We're, our listeners are um, primarily in in the healthcare field, the medical practices. Uh, We've got people from hospitals who are listening. Um, They're both on the clinical side and the back, Uh, office side, but both of those sides have been put under tremendous stress. Um, Have you had the opportunity to talk to anybody in the healthcare field or have thoughts on what they're going through as far as those frontline folks who are are working with patients, keeping them safe, as well as uh, from the business side, really, the uh, medical practices or are really dealing with a lot of uh, stress there as well, as uh, they've had a a lower patient volume. Um, They've had to adopt uh, telehealth and telemedicine uh, as platforms as well to reach those uh, patients virtually. So what are your thoughts on, on healthcare and where that's going right now?
1: Healthcare is my roots. Um, I before I went out on my own um, and you know, work with clients in different industries, including healthcare, I spent three years full-time uh, working at an HCA hospital leading leadership development for, for a, uh, a CEO. And since then, you know, I, I've continued to sort of work in that field. And I was talking to a former client of mine who's the chair uh, of the medical staff at a, at a large hospital. And he, he works in the ED. And I said, you know, how's it going? Tell me, and I check in with him every couple of weeks and he's just become a friend. And he, what he answered me the first time, I think is sort of a metaphor for what I'm seeing healthcare going through. He said, volume is low, acuity is high, right? So there's this sort yeah. of weird paradox of fewer people coming through the door. You know, there's this whole thing about where, where's everybody with the heart attacks? And, you know, but mm-hmm. facing this incredibly intense, crisis where, thankfully, we've learned a lot about how, how to treat some of these patients, but it's, it's just sort of this weird simultaneous paradoxical experience, and, you know, one thing I know about healthcare workers is they are some of the strongest, most resilient people just by nature of the work they're doing, you know, whether they're in the back office, whether they're delivering patient care, and, you know, the thing I worry about just in general, and I think, you know, I would put healthcare workers towards the top of this list is the long-term impact of this. Um, Mm -hmm. We can do anything for a couple months. Humans are amazing creatures, but over time, the level of burnout, the level of, you know, even PTSD for those on the front lines, I just really hope that this is an opportunity for us to shore up the support that we're giving all of those folks. And, and I think it's true to a certain extent in all industries, but, you know, again, at the top of my list are, are the healthcare workers I, I know and respect so deeply.
0: Mm-hmm. You're a featured speaker at the upcoming Medical Practice Excellence Conference. That's going to be a virtual conference in October. Your topic is titled, Becoming a Future Ready Leader. Um, that was a new term for me. So give us the definition, what is a future ready leader?
1: You know, it's funny, I, I've been doing this talk for a number of years. And what I, what I think has happened with COVID is it's, it's accelerated trends and patterns that we were already seeing. And so as an organizational psychologist, I, you know, I've been practicing this and researching what I do for more than 15 years. And what I started to see, the more leaders I worked with over that time, is that the, those who were willing to look at themselves in the mirror and sort of question all of the assumptions they have about who they are, how they show up, what type of leader they need to be for their team, um, and who are willing to have sometimes a rude awakening and, and see blind spots they hadn't discovered, were always, always, always more successful than those who didn't, and so what I've identified as really the I call it the meta skill or the foundational skill for future ready leadership, is being self aware, knowing who you are, how you come across, and how you fit into the world. And a little more than seven years ago, I I really wanted to understand empirically and scientifically are all of these things that we say about self awareness true? You know, you think about the number of Forbes articles that have been written about self awareness, and there's all these Sort of commonly accepted practices. But what I wanted to know was what does the science say? Mm-hmm. And sort of what, what our team has discovered over the years, and, and I wrote a book about it called Insight, is that um, self-awareness is actually even more important to future ready leadership than I than I first believed. And, and the data are there and they're very solid. So what I argue in this talk and, and just sort of generally in my work is that investing a little bit of time, you know, sort of having that mindset of as well as I know myself, I might, I probably don't know myself as well as I think I do, being open to that data, seeking out contradictory information. Those are the types of things that allow us to deal with crises, right? To say, how am I showing up? What are my values? What are the things I need to hold on to? How do I manage my day-to-day stress by looking at the patterns and approaches that are going to be most helpful to me? How do I make sure I'm having the effect I want on my team? And so, you know, there's a lot to the the skill of self-awareness, but the good Mm -hmm. news is it's one of the most developable skills there is.
0: Right. I want to unpack a lot of things that you just said right I know, there's a lot there. (laughs) I know, I know. Let's just start with self-awareness then. Uh, It should be self-aware of what it is, but let's define that first. Let's go into what is self-awareness and what does it mean in terms of being a leader?
1: That's such an important question. So when our team first started looking into this, I knew it was a term that everyone threw around and probably had different definitions, but um, it actually took us almost a year to scientifically define self-awareness. We read almost a thousand empirical journal articles. We surveyed people, you know, thousands of people all around the world. We did very in-depth interviews with people who made dramatic improvements in their self-awareness. So here's what we came up with. Self-awareness is knowing who you are on the inside and how other people see you. And the fascinating part, or the especially fascinating part, at least to me, is those two types of self-knowledge, seeing ourselves clearly and knowing how other people see us, if there are any math or statistics nerds listening, there's a (laughs) 0.0 correlation between the two of them which means I could be so clear about who I am and what I stand for and have no idea how I'm coming across. And by that same token, I could get feedback all day, but if I don't spend time thinking about sort of what I want and what I stand for, I can't be self-aware. And what I love about that definition is it gives us the map. The map to self-awareness is focusing on those two types of self-knowledge.
0: Mm-hmm. What is the... Um... Where's the, what part of the brain, I guess I should ask, is most impacted by self awareness? Where is it being generated? Where do we get the insights on uh, being more self aware?
1: You know, I'm going to know my audience and say that I probably could not do that answer justice. There is just, I mean, really, honestly, like, who who am I to say that there is quite a bit um, in the research I've done about sort of the brain basis of self-awareness, but I would not consider myself an expert enough to give a, a really great holistic answer, to be honest mm-hmm. with you.
0: hmm, um, Now, I wanted to go back to something else. You, you did say you've been... Uh, You've authored books. Have you been working on a book here during uh, the lockdown?
1: You know, it's interesting that you ask. I uh, maybe about, I'd say a year ago, I started thinking about it, but eight or nine months ago, I started working on it in earnest. And the working title is Are you ready for this? Mm-hmm. When Bad Things Happen. Oh boy. little did I know what was what was going to transpire but but the basic idea is you know I've spent my whole career helping leaders be better and at the end of the day there are only so many of us organizational development professionals executive coaches and the workplace is really sort of in some ways designed to to create you know feeling as of being wronged or slighted or, or hurt or even betrayed by other people. And what, what this book is, is kind of an investigation of of what, what happens at work that makes us feel that way? And most importantly, how do we kind of bounce back and rise up after we feel wronged or slighted? Um, Mm -hmm. And it's been incredibly interesting to be doing a lot of the interviews we're doing during COVID, because what I've discovered, um, you know, sort of in my own observation and our data is COVID has heightened a lot of those trends. So Mm -hmm. if somebody was having a little bit of conflict at work, they are now having a lot of conflict at work. But The organizations and and teams that build cultures where, um, you know, we don't hold grudges or blame each other for mistakes. You know, we keep the the standards of excellence high, but we figure out a way to move forward. I think there's so much to that. And it's not something people are talking about a lot. So I'm really excited about it. It's still kind of in the early stages.
0: No, that's exciting. Um, We hosted a a webinar yesterday that was really successful. It was on uh, discrimination and diversity uh, in the workplace. And there's a lot of self-awareness there. There's, um, you know, a number of books right now on race relations. White fragility is one of those. Mm-hmm. One of the speakers brought that up, that it it does do some workshopping um, in uh, the organizational structure. Like how do we communicate better? How do we have those crucial conversations that we need to have. So we are being self-aware, but we're being self-aware not only about how we exist within the workplace, but how we interact with others. And um, if we're showing the proper amount of respect uh, for all of the people that we interact with, um, do you, uh, in your workshops and in your consultations, do you get into that aspect of uh, self-awareness where you are, uh, you know, looking at how you do interact with the other people there and um, are respectful of of all people.
1: What you said is so important. It's such a crucial piece of self-awareness because aspirationally, what we want to do is create an environment where everyone feels like they belong and they feel seen and they feel heard and valued. And in my experience, almost no leaders, you know, get up in the morning and say, I am going to marginalize and offend as many people as I can. <laughs> right. It's, it's just, right. and there are some, you know, I'd say like, a, you know, under 5% of leaders who, who might do that or, or professionals, but most people are really trying to do the best they can. And the area of growth or sort of the delta between the current and desired state, I think, is understanding, you know, A- how we're coming across and how many of our, you know, we have the gift of knowing our intentions and other people don't. And so we, I think that's a way that sometimes people justify behavior that is hurtful to other people as well. I didn't mean anything by it, or I didn't mean to offend you. But at the end of the day, what matters is, is how that lands with someone else. And so I Mm -hmm. think it's that what we know from the research is highly self-aware people are able to transcend their own perspective and really put themselves in the shoes of other people. So again, it's kind of a paradox. It's, it's, this is an area that's full of paradoxes, but that's a skill that is so important to creating, you know, I'm not a big fan of diversity. I kind of like the idea of belonging that Mm -hmm. that everybody feels seen and heard and valued. And it's, you know, self-awareness is the foundation of that.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Our audience loves tools. They love actionable steps. So what can the people listening do to improve their self-awareness? What can they do? What steps can they take?
1: So I'm gonna give you three quick things because I too am a lover of tools and, and practical things. I always say that what I do is trade school, not grad school, as much as I love research. So the first is for internal self-awareness, knowing who you are. What we found found is that you know, I think people wait for these giant leaps of like, now I see something about myself that I never saw before, and it's very dramatic actually not how we build self-awareness. It's this incremental daily journey. And if we think about it that way, what we've discovered in our our research subjects who are really self-aware is most of them have some type of daily or most daily practice where they ask questions like, you know, take five minutes when you're brushing your teeth at night and, and ask yourself, what went well today? What didn't go so well today? And what can I do to be smarter tomorrow? And if you think about that, maybe you get, one or 2% more self-aware per week. That becomes huge, it becomes exponential and really, really dramatic over time. So I think anybody who maybe wants to see themselves clearly could try that. If you wanna work on understanding how other people see you, I would recommend something that a colleague of mine, Josh Meisner developed called, um, I I named it the dinner of truth or the the lunch of truth. And maybe it's virtually now, um, but the idea is you find someone at work or at home with whom you want to improve your relationship. And you ask them, this is kind of intense, right? I can, I can just already see the color draining from people's faces as <laughs> they're hearing this. The question is, um, what do I do that is most annoying to you? Hmm. And it takes a lot of courage, but again, I would never do something, uh, I would never suggest that people do something like this unless I have done it multiple times. And what I'm always surprised by is what an affirming experience it is, both for Sort of how I see myself in my own self-awareness journey, as well as my relationship with that person. So that's sort of mm-hmm. the second tool. The third is actually something that we put together for the launch of, of my book on all of this insight several years ago, and we, we left it there because it was so popular. But it's basically, um, it's called the insight quiz. And it's a a 14 question subset of this very long comprehensive self-awareness assessment we developed as part of our research. And you go in, you answer 14 questions about yourself. You actually can put, put in someone else's name who knows you well. They fill out 14 questions about you. And then you get this neat little report that tells you where you are in both types of that self-knowledge. And then a couple of specific tools given your results that will help you be more self-aware. And, and there's tools similar to the ones I just mentioned, you know, this is not like big complicated stuff. It's just a matter of knowing what to do, what works and doing it. So if anybody's interested in that um, it, totally free, no strings attached, they can find it at www.insight-quiz.com.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. We love uh checklist and, Uh, downloadables, anything like that. So I will also post that um, in our show notes. So anyone listening, you can go to the notes and there will be a link, a hyperlink. You can just click right on and and take that exam. That's great. Um, What about an example? Do you have a case study? Do you have an example of a leader or of an organization that you've worked with where self-awareness might not have really been in place and maybe that's why they <laughs> uh, contacted you in the first place, but you saw a real transformation and what did that look like?
1: Oh my goodness, how long do you have? <laughs> that's <laughs> the beauty of this is there, if you follow the process, it always works. That's what constantly amazes me um, about just self-awareness and, and what I am so lucky to be able to do every day. But th- there's one story that I tell pretty often uh, because I think it's, it's so extreme and it shows that, you know, it's like you hear that and you're like, well, if that person could do it, certainly I could do it. So the, the short version is, uh, you know, I obviously not using real names of any of my clients. Right. So let's call him Steve. Mm-hmm. Steve was a construction company executive. Uh, he had a, a bleeding balance sheet. He had been in his position for about three months and uh, was leading kind of the most important business line in his company and the CEO hired me because unbeknownst to Steve, Steve was about to get fired. He had this way of, um, you know, he would scream at people and insult them and criticize them. And there was like this floodgate of turnover. So people were just leaving left and right, you know, obviously their, their business was suffering. And so I, unbeknownst to him, I was his last hope. And when I first met him, he expressed frustration. You know, he's like, I don't understand. I'm a tough but fair leader. I know my people respect me. I I just can't understand, first of all, why they keep quitting. And second of all, why nobody's doing what I'm telling them to do. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, Steve, let's figure this out. Let's see what happens. And whenever I'm coaching, um, you know, an executive, I do, I call it a qualitative 360, which is very fun. Fun for me, not always fun for them. Um, but I, I interview, you know, sometimes up to 30 people. It's board members, it's direct reports, it's clients or customers. You know, I even talk to their friends, their family, if they have adult children. And I put together a picture of how this person is showing up. And in Steve's case, one of the first things I said was Steve, you know, you're a pretty straightforward guy, so I'm going to level with you, but I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Your team hates you. <laughs> <laughs> and he just wow. is sitting there like and, and you know, and I said, Well, you yell, you scream. And then he proved me right by showing me what the yelling and screaming looked like. <laughs> and then sort of after he had this, this, you know, and by the way, every uh, response that people have to this feedback is fair and justified. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing he said really sticks with me. He said, You mean so I've been doing what I do for 20 years. Have I been acting this way the whole time? And I said, probably. And he said, mm-hmm. why has no one told me? Why did no one tell me? Mm-hmm. And I felt for him. You know, I, I really felt like there's so much truth to that. We, we sort of live in a world where um, people don't tell us the truth, especially when we're in positions of power. Right. By the way, that's why the, the higher up you get on the corporate food chain, uh, the less self-aware you tend to be. So mm-hmm. to Steve's credit, he, he dove into this just completely. And what I told them, and I tell all my clients this, is this is your short firewalk, but at the end, I promise there will be puppies and rainbows. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is you now know, and it's always better to know than not to know. So we worked together over a period of about a year and, you know, we had to work on things like, you know, the very first one, we had to stop the bleeding. We had to get them to stop yelling at people <laughs> publicly mm-hmm. and privately. And what we did is we worked on one thing at a time. And pretty soon, his team started talking about this guy they were calling, it's like this magical person called the new Steve. (laughs) And what I loved about that is it showed us we were on the right path, but it also gave them a really safe and kind of comical way to call him out when he was being the old Steve. You know, he would kind of like pound his fist on the table and they'd look at him and smile and say, What would the new Steve say about that? (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: he continued that work. And, you know, what we saw was pretty compelling in terms of results. that The floodgate of turnover stopped. He developed, you know, again, this didn't happen overnight. It, it took time and it took energy, but his team started to trust him. And eventually they started to respect him. And lo and behold, the next year they met their, their business plan. They actually blew it out of the water in terms of just overachieving.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: probably most importantly for me, the CEO was happy. So I, I think the beauty of that story is Steve is the hero. He was mm-hmm. willing to question sort of everything he thought was true about him and his style of leadership. And by the way, um, usually when somebody has blind spots, they show up at home too. So mm-hmm. at the end, not only was he saying, gosh, I've never felt better professionally. Everybody sees it. I have a better marriage and I have better relationships with my kids. So I'm just so lucky to get to do what I do. And and Steve is one example of, you know. I've worked directly with about 20,000 leaders over the course of my career. I counted recently. Uh, and and that's, that's what's in store if you're willing to to do that work.
0: All right. Well, that, that is a wonderful story. I'm glad that it worked out for Steve and his organization.
1: (laughs) Me too.
0: Exactly. And I'm definitely going to, uh, uh, be sure and put in uh, that hyperlink for our audience because I think that could be really helpful for them to take that test as well. So Tasha, I want to thank you so much for sharing these insights with us and I'm looking forward to hearing your talk in October as well.
1: Thank you so much, it was a pleasure. Love MGMA, I can't wait to see everyone at at the event.
0: Well, that's gonna do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to Audi and Care Credit for sponsoring this week's show. To learn more about the MGMA Audi Incentive Program, visit mgma.com/membership/audi. And to learn more about how Care Credit is helping providers deliver a better patient financial experience, visit carecredit.com/mgma podcast. Also, Thanks to our guest Tasha Yurick. To learn more from Tasha, you can hear her speak at MGMA's Virtual Medical Practice Excellence Conference in October. Be sure to register for the event at mgma.com/mpec. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at MGMADaniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rod Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage. When it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, and optimizing staff performance, there's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI-enabled tool